you know that part of our yearly theme, or our theme for this year, is maturing. The idea of maturing as a Christian. Um, we uh, made that at our first quarterly meeting back in uh, February, March, that we were going to, that was going to be our theme for this year. Since then, we've been working on that idea. We want to grow. We've gone through one sermon series already that we've titled Maturing in Mind and Method. And that helped us understand growing in sanctification as a Christian, growing step by step the way God uh, has planned it for us and how that takes place. Well, as we turn to 1 Timothy today, we're going to start a new series on the book of 1 Timothy with the idea of maturing as a church, maturing as a church. And some of the, a little bit of background about Timothy, it is one of the three books that have been titled by many scholars, the pastoral epistles. Paul himself is writing to Timothy, his beloved child in the faith. We're going to see in a moment here. But he's writing for Timothy so that Timothy can have some instruction on the church and growing the church to love God and to grow in their own personal walk as well. So we're going to be talking about maturing as the church, going through the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy itself, the book, teaches on many issues for proper order and conduct in God's church. Um, it also is our focus. Uh, so as we focus this year on maturing as a church, this book is perfect to help us as a church in this endeavor of maturing. Paul writes to Timothy, and what we're going to find is that Timothy was actually the pastor at the church of Ephesus designed by Paul to stay there at the church at Ephesus as he went on his different missionary uh, journeys, the second missionary journey to the different churches. But he left Timothy in Ephesus. So that's what we're going to be doing for the forecoming months, uh, is talking through 1 Timothy. That brings us to 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11, our first section in the book. Titled our message this morning, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire, right? <laughs> We've all heard that. We've all said that maybe at times. Uh, liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, you, we've you know, ended that phrase with a lot of different things. Either hang them on a telephone wire, or my kids are, will say, nose is longer than a telephone wire, or different things. All right, but what, what is the point of this little phrase? Um, is that it quickly and obviously tells someone that, they, that you think that what they're saying or have said is not truthful, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's saying, I know what you said, but let's be honest. You're not understanding what you're talking about. Okay, this is the same type of idea as Paul starts out this letter to Timothy that he wants Timothy to instruct the people at the church to be careful of lies, be careful of the deceptive nature of people coming in and turning Christians away from the one that God wants them to follow. He wants Timothy to go say and help those leaders. Not so much in a harsh, mean way, but to help them in any way that he can lead and direct them in the path of righteousness to God in personal life and for their church life. As we get started, um, verses 1 and 2 in our text actually give us a little background information. So it's important before we start any book to understand where that book falls into the canon and what background material we need to know to completely understand that text. Uh, verses 1 and 2 help us out a little bit. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So the first two verses really give the salutation, this greeting that Paul gives toward Timothy. But it tells us a lot about what is happening in the letter. First, the person who is writing it is the Apostle Paul. And Paul describes himself in a very specific way in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He's he's elevating himself and using the apostolic authority that God has placed on him to help Timothy say, Timothy, I'm speaking to you as a friend, as a Christian brother, but also I'm giving to you what God wants me to give to you. I'm, I'm using the authority God's called me to to tell you this is good, what I'm going to teach you for the church. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior. That idea brings us right back to how Paul received his salvation. It wasn't in a normal sense where one of the apostles taught him and he believed by faith in in a way that most of us are used to. We remember who Paul was. Before God purposely brought him to salvation, He was a murderer. He was an adversary of the church. He was an adversary of Christ. So much so that he was okay with murdering Christians. He was the cheerleader for those who stoned Stephen. He stood alongside of them as they were throwing those stones, hitting them in the face, all of those things. And you can imagine him with a a jeering smile thinking, yeah, that's right, let's get rid of these Christians. And then in a miraculous way, God brought him to his knees on his On the road to Damascus, he looks up, sees this bright light that blinds him, and God speaks to him directly and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment, that instance, God tells him to go and seek out a person who would help him understand. He understands finally who Jesus Christ is and accepts him as his Savior. From that point on, God uses him in a very special way. A little bit of years where he's training, but then after that, He is God's representation to the Gentiles, the believers um, that are coming to to God through Jesus Christ, and that's who Paul is. At this point in this letter, it's about 62 to 66 AD, and that means it's 30 years or so after Christ died and was resurrected, and uh, this is at the point where Paul has already made one missionary journey, has established many churches in the areas of Turkey and surrounding areas, And now, he is on to his second missionary journey. That's who is writing this letter to Timothy. Second person we see in verse 2 is Timothy himself. And he gives us a specific description of Timothy. He says, To Timothy, my child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is Timothy to Paul? He's a child in the faith. Very clearly, it seems like Paul had an influential aspect in Timothy's life, even so much that he probably was the one that that brought, uh, at least explained the gospel message to Timothy, and Timothy accepted it through Paul. And we find this throughout um, a lot of different passages, that that relationship, that loving relationship between Paul and Timothy. Acts 16.1 says this, Paul came also to Derbe, And to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
So Timothy grew up in a house that loved and knew the Lord, but his father was an unbeliever. And Acts 16 is Paul's first missionary journey. So on his first missionary journey, he comes in contact with Timothy and at that point probably was able to explain the gospel to him. Philippians 2, 19 and 22, Paul also states this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by, your, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. So we see this close connection. They've grown up. He's like a father to Timothy. In the Christian walk, he's, he's mentored him. He's understood maybe his struggles and how he came to the gospel. And they've got this connection, this bond now that has gone on for years. It's not just an instance. Timothy was a traveling companion of Paul for a lot of his first missionary journey. And so they knew each other in and out. And he, and he gives that uh, wonderful uh, praise of Timothy to say, Timothy, he loves people the way that God wants us to love. I know Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he also says this. <clears throat> that is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in, which, in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He knows that Timothy is going to be faithful to God's word and he uses them to send him to different places that he knows need instruction in God's commands. Uh, Paul loves Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 also say this from Paul. But as for you, this is Paul to Timothy again, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have affirmed, believed, uh, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He knows that Timothy will do what's right, and he loves Timothy. What we find is that Timothy was Paul's disciple, his friend, his co-worker, and dear son spiritually. By the, by the time that First Peter was written, he had been with Paul for about 15 years as the apostle's constant companion. So traveling companion, 15 years he's been with them. They, they know each other. It's, it's not some small relationship, but he's reminded of everything that is worthy in Timothy. What else we find in verse 3 of that same, uh, of 1 Timothy 1, as you turn back to there, is that where is Timothy scheduled right now is Ephesus. Is Ephesus. Ephesus, this is Paul's second missionary journey. As you look, Jerusalem is down here on the corner. Um, he makes his way up to Syria and Antioch. That's his sending church. He makes his way around to the different churches that he has um, established. Then we also see that uh, Troas is right there, uh, right in the middle. But down below that is Ephesus. So what we're going to find is in 1 Timothy, um, Paul's traveling with Timothy, but by the time that he gets to about Troas, um, he sends Timothy down to Ephesus where he knows that that instruction needs to be had. So as he sends him there, then Paul makes his way up to Macedonia, the northern, uh, northwestern side right there, with all the different churches and ways that he uh, has traveled in his mission. But he leaves Timothy at Ephesus. So that's kind of where we see picking up here. Uh, Timothy's at Ephesus. He's been there for probably three to five years now. Timothy's writing back to help him... Um, in his endeavor. 
what else we find is that Acts 20, 17 to 21 help us know a little bit about what's going on in Ephesus. Ephesus is a place that Paul loved. Again, one of the churches that he started was in Ephesus, and Ephesus was actually like a kind of a hub, a bigger hub for then a, a little smaller churches on the outside. You see Colossae there. Paul wrote a letter to Colossae. We see Galatia um, somewhere here. But Ephesus was a hub, okay? So Paul had some interaction with Ephesus, and he loved Ephesus. Acts 20 helps us understand a little bit about it. I'm going to read it in just a second. But what we find with Paul at Ephesus is that Paul taught them about Christ. He brought the gospel to them. Many believed and understood the gospel through Paul's teaching at Ephesus. Paul loved Ephesus. And then Paul received persecution by those who were against him at Ephesus. And what we're going to find is that uh, if you remember the account, Paul went to teach there. But then there were these idol makers, and they made idols for people to buy to the false god, Artemis. And they got so mad that Paul was turning people away from them, and they started a riot against Paul. This all happened in Ephesus. But Paul was faithful because he loved them, he spoke the truth, and even the persecution that he got, he was willing to speak the truth in the midst of it. That was years ago at this point now as he's writing 1 Timothy. But Acts 20, 17 tells us a little bit of background information. It says this, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesus. He, he did this in Ephesus. He went from house to house. He preached the gospel hard because he loved the people. Same passage, a couple verses later. He says this. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the, whole, and to the world and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This, again, is Ephesus. He's challenging them, and the important thing we see in here is he, he says, be careful, because those people, they're going to become people that come into your midst that try to turn you away from God. He, he uses the word uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, here we are, three to five years after this instance, that, that this writing in Acts 20, and these things are starting to take place. Uh, these wolves are coming in amongst the, the, the church at Ephesus there. He has sent Timothy to instruct and to help them. And he's saying, be faithful, be faithful to what God teaches us in his word. That gets us finally to 1 Timothy. We're going to spend the rest of our time in, in verses 3 through 11. 3 through 11, so grab your Bible and follow along as I read in its entirety as we get started. It says this, 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 11. 
as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Verse number 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, for the, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us today as we look into your word. Challenge us to be strong in our belief and our understanding of who you are and to be helpful um, in your church. Be with us as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read this, the thing that sticks out to us and uh, time and time again through this verses 3 through 11 is the idea that we are to believe and speak the truth that God has given Believe and speak the truth that God has given. We can't speak the truth effectively until we truly believe it in our heart. So we, we find it, those two aspects, believing and speaking, being connected. We have to understand. And sometimes the speaking of the truth is, has to be directed to our own heart. That means we have to be in his word. We have to be studying his word. We have to be correcting the wrong views and wrong ways that we think by using God's word to shape us. We can't shape ourselves into God's word and God's way without his word directing us. Believe and speak the truth that God has given. And this idea of speak is teaching. When we speak what is true to one another, we, in a sense, are challenging people's beliefs and thoughts and we're helping to teach them what is right and what is good. And Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, is saying... Timothy, I've got a task for you. I need your help. It's not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be uh, roses. But I need you to go and help this church speak the truth and be the truth for me, surrounding the gospel message and surrounded by the doctrines and the truth that I've given in my word. Timothy, this is your job. Believe and speak the truth that God has given. And so we see this uh, this in, uh, this instruction given from Paul to Timothy, but it's one that we take to our own heart, especially as we think about our churches, ways that our pastors are there to help instruct us, but also as we as Christians, we take this, we look at this and say, it is important for me to have that same idea that I speak and believe God's truth and, uh, and have God's truth shape me. As we look at this instruction, we're going to find three instructions on speaking God's truth in our text today. <clears throat> The first instruction Paul gives is to boldly teach the truths of God's word. Boldly teach the truths of God's word and nothing else. And nothing else. He says, be bold in the way that you do it. The way that you speak, the way that you go about 
proclaiming God's message to the people there, be bold and be confident. You know, when we usually think about being bold, someone is telling someone else, be, be bold, be confident in yourself. Be bold in who you are and what you know you are to be. But what we find here, Paul doesn't say be bold in yourself. Because we can even find in the, the rest or towards the end of 1 Timothy chapter 4 that he tells Timothy again to be bold. It's, a, it's almost this idea that Timothy is given to uh, being a timid person. And, and he has to be challenged by Paul to be bold and confident. And so he starts with this idea of being bold and being confident in what you speak and the truth of God's word and nothing else. Look at verse 3. It says, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia... <clears throat> Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Where we get the boldness and the idea of, is Paul saying that you may charge certain persons. It's not just that you speak, but that you speak in a way that you're helping them. You're helping their mind contemplate the truth of God's word. And you're doing it in a way that even if there's falsehood in someone's thoughts, you're helping them to think through God's word truthfully. Charge certain persons to teach uh, not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God. What do we find Paul doing? He says to Timothy, pretty much, teach them not to teach anything against God's word. Teach them not to teach anything against God's word. And it's important to see that as he's going to this church or, or at the church, the people that Timothy is going to have to instruct are teachers themselves. And we're going to find that the teachers in the church are actually those who have been raised to the level of being those who know God's word and give God's word. And in some instance, they're not teaching what is truthful to God's word. So could you imagine getting that task? Okay, I'm going to send you to this church. I know you're young. You're much, much younger than me, Timothy. And the people that are teaching there are probably older than you. They've been at that church a lot longer than you. It's difficult, right? He has a difficult task. But where does his boldness come? It doesn't come in his own personality. It doesn't come from his character. His boldness comes from God's word. He's speaking the truth to point people to God. And, and that's the main thing that Paul does not want anyone to turn from. The gospel message and the truth that God gives us don't turn from any of that. So he tells them, Paul tells Timothy, teach them not to teach anything against God's word. And then he also tells them, teach them truth about false beliefs. Teach them the truth about false beliefs. Look at verse 4. It says, nor devote themselves to myth or endless genealogies. Let me back up a little bit. That you may charge certain persons not to teach anything different, any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. What Timothy was going to be dealing with were uh, Christians and Jewish Christians who at time would look back at the Old Testament law and look at the rules and regulations and try to implement those alongside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he, Paul says to him, don't let them sway you from the true doctrine that we know is good and is right that came from God through Christ Jesus, don't let them sway you from that. And then verse 4 says, Not, nor to devote themselves to myth or endless genealogies. Myths is just another way of saying conjured up lies. Okay, It says something that 
It's, it's a myth. It's something that I've come up with. It might sound good to people's ears, but I cannot support that specifically from the Bible. That's a myth. Okay? And he's saying, don't let myths turn people away from God's word and the gospel. He also says, don't let endless genealogies. This idea that came into the church is that if I can connect myself back far enough in my lineage to someone who is very important in the Old Testament, it would prove that I'm an important person. So they would say, oh, well, I can follow my lineage back so far that I connect to Moses or I connect to Abraham. And, and Paul is saying, that means nothing. Paul and Abraham, or excuse me, Moses and Abraham, that, that's not what's, what's creating salvation or in a relationship with God. It's only through Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, go and teach what's right and what's good. Don't let them devote themselves to myth, endless genealogies. And then here's what it also says at the very end of verse 4, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship, which is from God. So what is Paul saying? He says, teach them the truth to come together for godly edification, not to fight, not to have quarrels, not for speculations. That's not the purpose of why we come together. It is for godly edification. That means giving out the gospel message and growing in the gospel. That's why we come together as a church. I like the way that the King James, the New King James Version just, uh, reads that verse 4. It says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Stay away from things that cause us disputes. And he's, we're not saying tr uh, truths that we, we need to address or talk about, but the, the, the things on the side that are not shown as the importance as the gospel that we give too much to. We know that this is difficult to be bold. Timothy is told to be bold. But being bold and courageous is not easy, even when it's based on God's word. Because we know it's hard to talk to someone that you think might get mad or irritated at you, right? I mean, you don't like to do that. I don't like to do that. It's hard to help someone see error in their thinking. Even when you believe and your conscience, you know, is telling you you think that it's right and it's in God's word, it's difficult to be bold. It's hard to keep yourself calm and cool in the middle of conflict. Any of us who have been married know that, right? You cannot be married without having conflict at different times. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I don't always keep a cool, calm head in the middle of conflict. We need God's help in the middle of those things to be bold and speak the truth. But then Paul gives us the second uh, instruction when we talk about it. Instruction number two then says this, lovingly teach the truths of God's word and nothing else. So first was boldly teach the truths of God's word and number two, lovingly teach the truths of God's word and nothing else. Uh, verse five says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, boldly speak the truth. Don't let anyone turn from the truth. But then he says, do it in a loving way. Our purpose and the whole reason that I'm telling you to charge these uh, elders and the teachers in the church is because I want them to grow in their love. Their love for me and love for each other. Those are Jesus' two greatest commands are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and to love each other as, as, as ourselves. And he says uh, the motivation for teaching and telling people the truth has to be love. 
it's tough to be loving when we are trying to teach. Uh, being a teacher in itself is difficult. You know, my kids are about to end school this week. They've got just one week of school. I do not envy teachers. I just, uh, it would not be something that I feel like I could be patient, be calm all the time with kids. And being a teacher is difficult, right? Most of the time, um, when we are trying to teach somebody something, a lot of times what's included in that is irritation and frustration and impatience, right? And fine, I'm just going to do it myself. I can't teach you to do it. Let's, I'll just do it myself and I take over. Because we're, we're, it's difficult for us to teach and instruct. Um, Paul understands that. Paul understands that Timothy going to boldly teach um, those who are there at the church is going to be difficult. So he gives them this instruction. Remember, Timothy, that our aim is love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So he goes on to explain what that love looks like. It's that we have a pure, uh, a pure heart that's distinct from an evil heart or a wicked heart or only wanting to get what I want. I have a pure heart that truly wants to love the way God wants me to love. Love him and love other people. And a good conscience, a good conscience, knowing that what I'm doing, what I'm teaching, what I'm believing, I'm trying to find God's word, I'm trying to be humble towards God's word, and I'm trying to care about other people. Pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. These are the aim that Paul wants Timothy to have as he's there at the church. Verse number six, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about what they have made confident assertions. The people that are connecting to what Timothy is going to instruct and to teach, they've wandered away, and it says, into vain discussions, vain discussions. And then it goes on to give the motivations about these vain discussions. And what is a vain discussion? It's one that does not have any weight behind it, does not have any importance. He's seeing that it, maybe it has a little importance, but it's not the main purpose of the gospel. It's not the main purpose of the church. And so it's good for us to talk about those things, but don't make those the most important thing for us. Maybe you've dealt with uh, or had conversations with a person that they just really have a hobby horse or whatever it is, and they've studied that one thing, and they've, they want to talk about it every time, but it's not something that is important for our Christian walk and our spiritual growth. You know, he's saying, don't make things more important than God's word makes them as important as God's word, word make, makes them. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away in vain discussions. And then it gives our motivation in verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law. So the reason that they want to have all these discussions on other things on the side is because they actually desire the notoriety of the people around them. And this brings us right back to the Jewish system. The, the teachers wanted to work their way up, so everyone around them saw them as the highest in their field, the, the most knowledgeable. That's not our purpose as believers. Uh, we gain knowledge about God. We want to know more about God, but it's for the purpose of wanting to get to know him more. And the more that we get to know him, the, the more our heart is inclined to love him. It's not so that we can spout out all kinds of different truths that people might think that we're, we, we know more than them. It's, it's nothing like that. So he's saying, don't let people go into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law. And it says, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
Sometimes these people, they don't truly even know all the facts, or they will sidestep the facts, not even look at the facts, um, and they make confident assertions about these false falsehoods, these lies. And, and Paul says, Timothy, this is a hard task. Go and help the church. Do it in love. Do it in kindness, because um, they need your help. How to be loving in the middle of hard conversations? How do we do that? Well, here's some realizations for us, because we need help in this area. Because when, when, when things get out of control, it's difficult for us to be loving. How, how do we do it? How can we do it? I'll give us three suggestions. Number one, remember how God and Jesus love sinners. Remember how God and Jesus love sinners. Yeah, Jesus was persecuted, was, was tortured, was placed on a cross. He was able to look down and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And, and when we remember what God did for us on the cross and us being sinners that really deserved none of his goodness and he cared for us and he loved us, that really changes how we can interact with other people. We've got to remember uh, how God and Jesus love sinners. That's going to help in the midst of hard conversations. Number two, remember that giving God's truth is loving. Remember that giving God's truth is loving. Sometimes we forget that because we know it might be difficult, it might be hard, but when we are giving the truth to God, of God to another individual in a loving way, it is going to help them grow in their sanctification. And that is a good thing. You know, no matter if it's difficult for us, it's good for them to contemplate the truth of God's word and to help them, with God's help and the Holy Spirit, grow in their understanding. Remember that giving God's truth is loving. Number three thing that we can do to help in the middle of that is remember that giving God's truth is helpful for godly growth. And that goes right along with the second one. It's helpful for godly growth. Three instructions on speaking God's truth. Boldly teach the truths of God's word and nothing else. Number two, lovingly teach the truths of God's word and nothing else. That brings us to our third and final instruction on teaching God's word. Number three, clearly teach the truths of God's, word, of God's gospel message. Clearly teach the truths of God's gospel message. We've all heard the term, don't muddy the water, Right? And you've been there where maybe you've been fishing off a dock and you can maybe see clear down two, three feet. You may even see some fish coming around. And then someone throws a big rock in. That's usually one of my kids or whatever. And uh, all the dust gets spread around. It muddies the water so that you can't see clearly anymore. Well, Timothy is, is saying, or excuse me, Paul is saying to Timothy, what's happening with all this vain discussion and these speculations and all these conversations inside the church at Ephesus is it's muddying the water. It's muddying the water, and you can't see the gospel clearly. And, and, and that is most important to Paul. I, I want to give everything up for the sake of knowing Christ and growing in him. That's what Paul says to us. And he says to Timothy, don't let the church muddy the waters. Don't let conversations muddy the waters. See the gospel clearly. That's a challenge to you and to me as well. We want to see the gospel clearly in our own life. And as we grow as a church, we want the gospel to be presented clearly. And that's the main thing we want to focus on. Verse number 8 says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So he brings in the, the conversation of the law, connecting it back to the Old Testament. And 
the, the teachers in the Ephesus church, again, they're connecting them back to the Old Testament and saying, well, Jesus is good, but if we connect to the law, that's going to be even better. You do, you do the things that the law tells you to gain God's favor. Well, this tells us, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully and in a right way. Now, what are the right ways that the law is being used? Three different ones that we can really see. The law is used for a restraining factor. It restrains. It restrains sin, okay? Think about the police force. What's their purpose? It's to, to understand what the laws are and then to enforce those laws so that the community or the people that are living in that community um, will not fall into going against the laws. So there's a restraining factor to the law, even in the Old Testament. The law we're talking about, yes, can be boiled down to the Ten Commandments, but it also talks about the Levitical system, a lot, a lot more laws. One of the things that it does is it restrains people from going wholeheartedly into to sin. It restrains. But the second thing that the law does is it condemns. That is a lawful thing uh, that God gave it for, was that it does have a condemning factor for it. And we know it if we're, we live in humanity that we cannot fulfill the law ourselves. Uh, God gave it to us so that we can see what is good and what is bad and that we cannot ourselves get up or get all the way up to a holiness that God has, has given. There's a restraining, there's a condemning. And the third part of the law is that it is sanctifying. We, we know what, what we want to grow in and we need God's help for that growth. But what we find about the law is that it's never used to bring salvation by obedience to it. It's never used to bring salvation, and it's never used to, by itself, grow in righteousness or holiness. We grow in the things that God wants us to grow in with his help, but just doing the things, just fulfilling the law will not do it for us. We, We cannot be saved through that. So he says in the verse, now we know that the law is good if it's used lawfully if it's seen to be the right way that God has designed it and given it to us. He continues in verse 9 and says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So he clearly says the main purpose that God gave us the law is so that those who were fallen in sin would know their fallenness and look for someone that could help them out of their sin. The purpose was to condemn in a sense of help us understand our sinfulness. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, what we find is that he goes into this explanation of a list. And the list goes from more uh, like lesser to bigger and more specific. So he says, the law is given for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane. That's more... Uh, Those are bigger categories. But then he gets specific, and he says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He's going as far as he can to, to, to understand that the law was given for sinners to understand their sin so that God could step in and say, you cannot deal with this sin situation and sin problem yourself. Timothy, this just gets to the heart of the gospel. If someone sidesteps the idea that we are sinners, we're never going to look for a Savior in Jesus Christ. We're going to think that we're good enough. We're going to think, ah, I'm better than other people. We need to understand that we're sinners. And the law was given for that purpose, 
to, to designate what sin is so that we can realize I can't reach God's holiness by myself. And he says, and whatever else is contrary to, the, to sound doctrine. He gives a shortened list, but at the end he says, and everything else that does not reach up to God's holiness and is not taught in his word, that is sin. Stay away from those things. That's not, that's not what a believer should live for. Then verse 11, he says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He says, this whole reason and this whole conversation of the law is because I want the gospel to be clear. I don't want to muddy the water with the law. I don't want to muddy the water with controversies that don't matter. I want the gospel to help people grow. I want them to know an understanding of who Jesus is. I want them to accept him as their savior and, and live for him, not for all these other things that are on the side. And we, that is a challenge to each and every, was, every one of us. Don't live for the side things. Live for God. In a very uh, direct way, he's talking about other doctrines or teachings, but as we apply that to other things, we can say, don't live for other things in your life that are not the gospel. Don't live for money. Don't live for the notoriety uh, of your kids. Don't live for anything that we put in that blank. He's telling us, don't live for those things. Live for the gospel. Don't muddy the waters. Clearly focus on the gospel. Today, Paul has given Timothy this challenge to go teach and be helpful to the church and do it in a loving and kind way. And as you do that, God is going to bless. And that's what, that's what Paul wants for the church. And that's what God wants for our church as well, to focus our attention on the gospel, to grow in a relationship with him, and to challenge each other to grow in Christ. That's our purpose. Believe and speak the truth of God that God has given Three instructions to boldly teach the truth of God and nothing else. Lovingly teach the truth of God and nothing else. Number three, clearly teach the truths of God and the gospel message. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time in your word. Help us, Lord, to take this and to um, teach the truth of God's word to our own heart. That's where we have to start. We have to be humble. We have to ask for your help. God, it starts there. And after that, Lord, help us to be faithful as a church that wants to give the gospel message to this community. We want your name to go out. We want people to understand uh, you and a need for you. If there's anyone today that hasn't accepted you as their Savior, Lord, we ask that you draw their heart to you and that they give themselves over to you, accept you as their Savior, and live a life for you, turning on their sin. God, thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.